got your message notes, I want to invite you to, to pull those out. We're going to finish this two-week series on the heart. Now, today's message, let, let me say, out of every subject in the Bible, every theme in the Bible, every discipline in the Bible, uh, most pastors have an area of the Bible where they're just stronger in. They're more gifted in teaching or communicating. What I'm teaching today is my strength in, in, in the Bible. Like if there's anything that I feel like God has gifted me to teach, that he's strengthened me to teach, and I've seen the impact. Proverbs says a man's gift makes room for him. Well, I've had more people over the years thank me for helping them understand this principle, understand this concept. And, and not just because it's blessed their life, but because it's specifically blessed their life. Last night in our Saturday night service, when I got done teaching, three different families came up to me and said, I heard you teach this two years ago. I heard you teach this four years ago. I tried to teach it about every two years as a church. Uh, those of us that have heard it before, it's always a great refresher. Um, those of us who are hearing it for the first time, it's one of the most powerful disciplines you can understand in Christianity. But they came up to me and they said, this hasn't just blessed me, but they listed like four or five specific reasons each of how God has blessed them for embracing this truth. So this is one of my strengths. Um, and so I'm going to dig right into it today. Uh, excited you're here because I really feel like this is a, a life-changing message that, honestly, Satan has attacked probably more than any other Christian discipline, and we'll talk about that for a moment. But let's jump into it. The title text or the theme text we're using is the wisest and the wealthiest, the richest person to ever live, and the wisest person to ever live says, guard your heart above all else. Now think about that. The wisest person to ever live on the face of the earth said the most important thing you can do is guard your heart. The most important thing you can do is guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Where the heart goes, the, your life flows, in other words. And so let me put it like this. Whatever is first in your heart, whatever has first place in your heart, whatever you give priority in your heart to determines and impacts the rest of your life. Would you agree? That, that whatever is first place in your heart directs every other area of your life. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at what Jesus said last week about the heart. Jesus says about the heart, where your treasure is, where your possessions, where your finances, where your investments are in, there your heart will be also. This is huge. Jesus is not saying that what you have a heart for is what you're going to give towards. He says what you give to is what you're going to develop a heart for. In other words, where you put your money is what you're going to become very passionate about, what you become very interested in, because your heart follows your money, not the other way around. And that's huge to understand. So as as we understand what Jesus is teaching about the heart and Solomon is teaching about the heart, then the question comes is, how do I practically give God first place in my heart? What does it look like to give God the first place in my heart? Or in other words, since Jesus says my heart actually follows my money, then the real question is, how does God get first place in my money? How do I show God first place when it comes to my finances, my possessions, my money, my wealth? How does God, if, if, if my heart is attached to that, how does God get first? So let me make a disclaimer. This, without a doubt, without a doubt, this is the easiest area of Christianity to understand. No one is, you cannot miss this. You cannot get confused by it. Uh, this is the easiest discipline in all of Christianity to figure out and to understand. But at the very same time, let me say it's the hardest one to accept. Without a doubt, it's the hardest one to embrace. It's the easiest to understand. You can't mess it up, 
But it's the absolute hardest thing to do and the hardest thing to embrace. Now, let me contrast that with like marriage, for example. You know, if, if I say, you know, we need to put God first in our marriage, that's the easiest to accept. It's the easiest to embrace. It's the hardest to understand, isn't it? Like, like okay, I, I agree with you. We need to put God first in our marriage. How in the world do I do that on a practical way? Like, I mess that up every day. Like, like how do I figure that one out? So, in contrast, the discipline we're looking at today is, is the easiest to figure out and understand. You're not going to be confused in understanding it. It's just the hardest one to accept, whereas many other disciplines of Christianity, they're easy to accept. They're just hard to understand. So with that being said, let's talk about the principle of first. That's, that's, this, is, this is a principle you see all throughout the Bible, cover to cover, Old Testament to New Testament. It's a principle of whatever has first has the power to impact everything else. Whatever is first in any area has the ability to direct everything else in that area. For example, we, we believe this as a church in many areas. First part of the year, every year for us as a church family, we give God the first portion of the year. We dedicate 21 days every January to prayer and fasting to say, God, before we do anything else this year, we're going to dedicate some time to you. We're going to dedicate a season of prayer and a season of fasting. We give you the first portion of the year because I believe when God gets the first portion of the year, the rest of the year goes differently. It's the same thing I do every day. The, the very first portion of my day goes to God. When I get up in the morning, I don't give the first to social media. I don't give the first to email. I don't give the first portion of the day to the news. The first, first portion of the day goes to God. I'm going to get up. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend a little bit of time with God, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Doesn't matter. The first portion of my day goes to God. And can I tell you, when God gets the first portion of my day, the rest of the day goes differently. See, whatever God is first in, that's why we have services on Sunday. The, the New Testament church moved church from Saturday night, the Jewish tradition, to Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Why? Because they made a decision before we go to work. Like if you go to Israel today, the work week starts on Sunday. But Christians said, no, 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 we're going we're to abide by the principle of first. Before we do anything for ourselves, we're going to give God the first day. So we're going to worship on the first day of the week. And then we'll go to work on the second day of the week, Monday. So God gets the first. So we're going to give God one day before we do anything else this week. God gets the first. So it's, an, it's a principle we see in every area of our life. Jesus put it like this. Seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when you put God first in any area, everything else is going to be taken care of. Everything else is going to be added to you. Everything else is going to come into alignment and, and, and come into to agreement. So here's the challenge. Everyone who's a Christian would obviously say, well, God is first in my life. That's why I'm a Christian. God's first place in my life. Well, understanding what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, my follow-up question would be, well, then let's look at your bank account. Let's look at your finances. Let's look at your checkbook. Because if Jesus says your heart is attached to your money, then the way we know what's first is we look at how, where the money flows. Because where the money flows is where the heart goes. And so, and, and let, me let me say, I know why this is so difficult and tough. And it may not be what you think. Jesus actually told us why this is a difficult message. Jesus actually explained to us why this is going to be so challenging earlier in Matthew 6 when he says you cannot serve both God and money. Do you realize Jesus never put anything else on that line? 
What is he saying? He's saying money is going to be the number one competition for the human heart. You're not going to face anything on earth that is competing for your heart more aggressively than money. And money is a spirit. Money speaks to you just like the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Some of you have actually heard the voice of money. How many of you have ever heard money say this to you? Because here's why this is such a big deal. Money promises you what only God can deliver. Money is a false God. And here's one of the lies that money will say to you. And many of you have heard money say this to you. Money will say to you, if you have enough of me, you'll feel secure. How many of you have ever had money say that to you? If you just have enough of me, you'll feel safe. You'll feel secure. How many know only God can give security? See, money is promising you something that only God can actually give you. Money is a false God. And that's why when you look at the Christian discipline of tithing, which we're going to break down today in very, very practical terms, tithing is not really about money. It's God simply wanting to know, where do I rank in your life? That's, that's all God wants to know. Where do I rank in your life? What, what place do I have in your heart? And here's the thought. For those of you who, because I'm not naive. I know anytime a pastor mentions tithing in church, people get upset, people get offended, people get angry, like I'm feeling it already. Some of you, like I cannot believe they're talking about money in church. Like I get it. <laughs> but, you know, not, not being funny about it all, but let me ask you a question. Why doesn't anyone ever argue with me when I teach on marriage and how we should put God first in our marriage? Like no one lines up after church saying, I just don't agree with that pastor. I don't agree we should put God first in our marriage. Like that's just not biblical. But yet you talk about tithing, and it's like everybody becomes a theologian. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's clear. I mean, it's, it's not like it's, it's, it's just an obscure passage here. There, It's all throughout the Bible. And it's simply because God wants to know where he ranks in your life. So what I want to do today is I'm not going to tell you to tithe. It's not my job as a pastor to tell you what to do. Uh, I just want to make that clear. It's not, you, you have a Holy Spirit. You don't need a Holy Aaron. My job as your pastor, is to teach you the Bible and show you what the Bible says. And it's your job to then talk to the Holy Spirit about it and decide whether or not you're going to do what, what, what the Bible, what you believe the Bible teaches after we reveal it to you. And so I want to get into the theology of tithing today so that you can see God's heart behind it. Three simple points today. For those of you who've done this before, it's a great refresher course. For those of you new to this class, this is powerful. Number one, tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. And I'm going to show you that biblically. Tithing is a test. And here's how the test works. Again, the test is just God wants to know where he ranks in your life. He wants to know what place he has in your heart. That's the test. And here's how the test works. When you get paid, when you receive any type of increase at all in life, whether it's a paycheck, a salary, a bonus, uh, some investment goes through and you make a profit, anytime you receive increase in life, here's how the test works. Who do you thank first? Who do you honor first? Who do you recognize first? See, here's the problem. I know many people, even Christians, the first person they honor would be their credit card company. The first person they recognize is the mortgage company. The first, the, the first person they think is the grocery store. See, the question is, who gets the first portion Like when you receive any type of income at all, where does the first portion go? Because the first portion is, because again, whatever is first determines everything else. So who gets the first person? So every, every time we get paid, we have to make a choice as a Christian. And the choice is, are we going to believe that God's word 
works. Here, let, let me break out the choice mathematically so you can see it more visually. Here's the choice. Every time we get paid, we get to decide, do I want to live off of 90% of my income blessed by God, or do I want to live off of 100% of my income without God's blessing? That's the choice. That's tithing right there. You have a choice. Do I want 90% of my income with God's blessing on it, or do I want to live off of 100% of my income without God's blessing? I get to choose 90% blessed, I, get to, I have the choice to believe that 90% blessed will actually accomplish more than 100% without God's blessing. And can I tell you, the math is never going to work. Like, you're never going to figure this out ahead of time, but you talk to anyone who ties, and they'll tell you this better than me. 90% blessed by God always accomplishes more than 100% without God's blessing. Amen. But it's a supernatural reality that doesn't make sense until you've actually done it. It makes no sense until you've actually taken the step of faith. Do it. And that's also why I've never met an ex-tither. I've never met anyone who, who took the step of faith and became a tither and then stopped tithing because it's like once God's blessing settles on your life, it's like I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize this. And so I've, I've just never met an ex-tither. But let me, let me ask you another question. Why 10%? I, I question everything. I don't know about you, but I, I question everything. I don't just accept anything at face. I want to know why. Like, like why, temper, why wasn't it 15%? Why not 7%? I thought 7 was the number for God. Like, why not 9%? Why not 20? Why not 50%? Like, what is the deal with the number 10? Well, you, when you study biblical numerology, every number in the Bible is symbolic of something. The number 7 is, is symbolic of completion. God created the earth in seven days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So numbers are symbolic. You see the number 40 a lot in the Bible, the number 21 a lot in the Bible. Numbers mean things. The number 10 all throughout the Bible is always in connection with a test. The number 10 is always connected to a test because tithing is a test. Let me illustrate it like this. How many plagues did God test Pharaoh with? 10. How many commandments did God test the heart of Israel with? Again, it was a test. Are you going to do it my way or are you going to follow pagan culture? It was a test. Uh, I'm going to give you some more questions. You may not know the answer, but there's a theme here. Uh, how many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? I mean, it's amazing when you see this. It's like God tested them 10 times in the wilderness. How many, how many times were Jacob's wages changed? You know, his uncle was testing him for his daughter. 10. How many days was Daniel tested in the book of Daniel? 10. How many virgins were tested in the parable of Matthew 25? 10. How many days of testing... Does the book of Revelations talks about 10. How many disciples were there? 12, just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> I just, to make sure I wasn't losing you with math. Sometimes math, like, like my wife doesn't like math, so when I start talking math, I, I kind of lose her. So I'm just, I know, it wasn't fair, but bad pastor. We'll, we'll move on. Um, it's a test. I mean, people argue with this and argue with this and argue with this, but God just wants to know, where do I rank in your life? And what's funny to me is every time I teach on tithing, inevitably, I have this conversation with somebody when it's over. Uh, inevitably, somebody will come up to me and say, you know what? That message really, really challenged me today. I realize that I need to increase my tithe. Now, I want you to think about that mathematically for a moment. They say, I need to increase my tithe. How do you mathematically increase 10%? You see, it's, a, it, it's mathematically impossible to increase a tithe. It's either 10% or it's not 10%. But the word tithe in the Hebrew, in, in, in the Greek, means 10th part or 10%. That's, that's how it's translated 
as tithes. So what I want to do now is I want to show you God's heart behind it. Every New Testament principle has an Old Testament story to illustrate it to help you understand it. So I'm going to take you to the Old Testament story that illustrates why God put tithing in the Bible. Because again, God could have left this out. God could have left it out. God didn't have to include this in Christianity. He could have left this out, but he included it for a reason. And if you understand why he included it and its heart behind it, I think you'll see it differently. So let's go to the Old Testament story that illustrates the tithe. 1 Kings 17, then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. Who said? The Lord. I just want to make sure you understand who's orchestrating this, where where it's coming from. The Lord said, and it says, I have instructed. Who has instructed? The Lord. Now, when I was in college, I had an instructor, and when the instructor wanted to find out if I was learning the material, what would the instructor give me? A test. So what is God doing with this widow? He's giving her a test. He says, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? Now let me give you some context. There is a famine. There is a drought. This is the worst economic recession in the history of this nation. If this lady, this this single mother living in poverty had any water at all, it would have been just a little bit. And here is the prophet asking for a very precious resource in a time where it hasn't rained. As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil on the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. She's not being dramatic. She's not exaggerating. They're going to starve to death. This mother is going to watch her son starve to death as she starves to death with him. There's no one to provide for her. She's a widow. There's a famine. There's a drought. They're going to die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me. Let's say this together. First. There's a principle of putting God first. Remember, God is the one that instructed her to do this. Make some bread for me first, then use what's left. That's tithing. Right there, that phrase is tithing. How does tithing work? We, the first portion goes to God, then we use what's left. The first portion goes to God, then we use what's That's how tithing works. Feed me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be. You talk to any tither, they will tell you a there will always be story. They will tell you a there will always be story. They've gone through difficult times. Tithing doesn't mean you're never going to go through any hardship. It simply means there will always be when you go through hardship. I've heard that there will always be story over and over and over from people in our church. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. This is an incredible supernatural miracle. God God says, put me first, then use what's left for you, and then when you use what's left, 
I'm going to supernaturally make it increase and provide for you. Again, this is why 90% can go farther than 100%. Because when God gets the first portion, he can always make the 90% accomplish more. And that's what's happening in this story. He supernaturally replenishes her olive oil and her flour. This is like the feeding of the 5,000. It's like turning water into wine. It's an incredible miracle. And it saves her and her son. Now, think about this. It's an amazing story. He's telling a widow. Feed me first. I mean, I'm sure this widow is thinking to herself, I've heard stories about Elijah. He's crazy. I, I can't give to God right now. My son's about to die. My son's going to starve to death, and he wants me to feed him first? I can't afford to do it right now. It, this, is, this is a difficult season of life. Can I be honest with you? The most important time to learn how to tithe is during a financial recession or a financial difficult season. Think about it. If you're struggling to survive off 100%, in one sense, you almost can't afford not to try to live off a 90% blessed. To see if God can't get you through the season. And what I want you to notice about the story that I think many people miss, God sent Elijah to the widow. Remember, it's God that did this. God sent Elijah to a single mother living in poverty, struggling to survive. Why didn't God send Elijah to a rich man? Why didn't God send Elijah to a wealthy family? There were wealthy families in the land. There would have been plenty of families that, that, that would have had resources to provide for Elijah and not have to sacrifice from their own children. So why did God send Elijah to a woman living in poverty? See, this is what people miss about the story. This is what people misunderstand about tithing. Let me ask you a question. Did God send Elijah to the widow so that the widow could provide for Elijah? Did God need the widow's stuff? Or was it so that God could provide for the widow? You see, God knew this lady was going to die. God knew she was going to watch her son starve to death. And so God gives her a test. Look, if you will put me first, I will redeem the rest. I will bless the rest. I will supernaturally multiply the rest, and you will be provided for. Do you realize most people never see a miracle because they never give God the opportunity? How do you expect God to bless our finances if we won't do it His way? And again, this is why the priority of the tithe is actually more important than the amount. 10% is significant to God because it represents tests, but what is more important is that it's the first 10%. See, tithing is not giving God 10% because you have it left over at the end of the month. Tithing is always the first 10%. It's the first portion. It's never the last portion. That's why if you tithe, if, you're, if, you're, if you believe in the principle of tithing, I cannot encourage you enough, do it during your morning devotions on the day that you receive. Like if you look at my bank account, as soon as anything comes into my account, the very first transaction is to God. He gets the very first portion, and it's always that first 10%. And I do it during my morning devotions. I don't pay tithes like I'm paying bills. You don't pay a tithe like you pay a bill. It, I, my, I get up, I read my Bible, I pray, and I get out my phone, my app, and I say, God, you have first. And, and it is part of my worship. It's part of my devotion. And for those of you that are still hung up on, well, you know, church just needs my money, and God just needs this, and God needs that, and God needed this widow stuff, can I make it clear? God was doing just fine. He really was. 
Like, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 17, right before Elijah meets the widow. Look what it says at the beginning of chapter 17. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning. Do you realize God had birds feeding Elijah better than the widow was feeding him? Like, God was doing just fine. Two chapters later, chapter 19, then he laid down and he slept under the broom tree, and as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So right before the story, God has birds feeding Elijah. Right after the story, God sends an angel from heaven to feed him. God did not need the widow's stuff. God did not need the widow's stuff. He was trying to help her. See, when you begin to see the reason why God created the tithe, it begins to make sense. But if you misunderstand it, which again, it, I mean, I don't know why. It's like the devil has confused this area of Christianity more than any other area. Like, what is he afraid of? Like, why does he not want people participating in this? Like, like what? I don't get it sometimes. So let me just give you the technical terminology of what these are so that you understand it. Tithing is when we return to God the first 10%. It's not the second 10%, not the third. It's not 10% at the end of the month because, you know, we didn't need it. We had it left over. No, it's always the first. It doesn't take faith unless it's the first, right? If you, if you give God 10% at the end of the month because you had it left over, there's no faith in that. It takes faith to first, then use what's left. That is what tithing is. Now, let me explain something, because a lot of Christians confuse tithing and giving. I hear a lot of people say, well, the Bible says this about giving. Yes, it does, but giving and tithing are different spiritual disciplines. They're not the same. It's like reading your Bible and prayer. They're not the same. They're just not the same. So giving is what we willingly give above our tithe, also called an offering. So the legacy offering at the end of the year is not tithing, it's giving. And let me just be clear about giving. Biblically speaking, giving is always something you do willingly. Always willing. You, you don't ever give if you feel manipulated, if you feel pressured, if you feel like you know, somebody is emotionally manipulated. The Bible says giving has to be willing and cheerful. If it's not willing and cheerful, Paul says you better just hang on to it. Because God wants a cheerful giver. He wants a willing giver. And so that's the difference between tithing and giving. Now, why do we say that it's blessed? Well, tithing is a redemption principle. I'll show you that a little bit at the end uh, in some scripture. But understand it like this. The first 10%, God gave his first to us to redeem us from sin. God sent his firstborn to earth. And the firstborn redeemed all of us from the curse of sin. So when we return to God the first 10%, the other 90% is redeemed, and it now has the ability to be blessed by God. So let's jump into something that I think will really help you a lot. Number two is tithing is biblical. Because I have a lot of people who come up to me and they say, well, tithing, there's just like one obscure verse in the Old Testament about tithing. There are many, 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 many verses on tithing. I'm just giving you probably 10% of them today. But there are many, many more verses on tithing all throughout Old and 
New Testament. And the argument was tithing was under the law. And we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. This is the New Testament. Well, let me ask you a question. With that line of reasoning and logic, you're saying that whatever was wrong under the law is somehow right now? Like murder was under the law. That was wrong. Under the law, is it now okay? Adultery was under the law, and, and, and the law said adultery was bad. Like you shouldn't do this. Is it now okay to do it? Because we're under grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because it was right under the law doesn't mean it's wrong now. Just because it was wrong under the law doesn't mean it's right now. It's a principle. We talked about this in Galatians a few weeks ago. There is a natural order to the universe, things like gravity, and the spiritual order to the universe works identically to the natural order. There's just consequences. Tithing is part of the spiritual order. It's a principle just like gravity. So let's, let's look at this biblically for a moment. And again, for those of you who think, well, that's under the law, let me show you some scripture that way predates the law. This was said years and years and years before the law was ever given. Genesis 14, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, that's the Hebrew word tithe, 10% of all the goods that he had recovered. So everything that he received from the battle from God, and this, this because uh, God blessed this battle, he brought Melchizedek a tenth of it. Melchizedek theologians believe, was an Old Testament representation of Christ when you study it out. don't have time to do that today, but it's a fascinating study. Uh, Genesis 28, this is 500 years before the law. And this memorial pillar, I have set up, will become a place for worshiping God. Where is the place where we worship God? The church. Uh, all throughout the Bible, by the way, and again, this is something I don't have time to teach on today, but every verse that is in conjunction with tithing always directs it to God's house. So the tithe always connects to God's house. And he says, I will present to God a tenth, 10% of everything he gives me. Leviticus 27.30. This is actually the verse for why Malachi later on says you steal from God when you hold on to the tithe. Uh, some of you have heard that verse before. People are robbing God. How are they robbing God? Because they're holding on to the tithe. The only reason Malachi can say that is because of this verse. This verse is one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees. So one-tenth one of everything this earth produces belongs to the Lord. It's his. And must be set apart to him as holy. We set it apart. We return it to him because it's holy. It's his. This is why you cannot give a tithe. And this may, this may sound like I'm being petty on language. You cannot give a tithe. Why? Because it's not ours to give. You can only return a tithe. If I let you borrow my car, you don't give it back to me. You return it to me. The tithe was never ours to begin with, so we don't give the tithe to God. We simply return it to him because it was always his. Let, let me ask one question, then we'll get, dig into the last point. We'll close in about five minutes. One question. Um, if Jesus Christ himself, because this is all Old Testament. If Jesus Christ himself said that you should tithe, would you do it? I'm talking about the Jesus that went to the cross, that one. Like, like, if Jesus himself said you should do this, would you do it? See, the question is, I know people who would still wrestle and argue and fight it, even if Jesus himself said it. Well, in the New Testament, in the actual gospel, in the red letters, quoting Jesus from his own lips, he says, you should tithe, yes. That's Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. I don't know what else we need. I mean, why would Jesus go to a cross and be tortured and killed and died out of love for you and then come up with some random thing to penalize you? 
by the way, I'm going to die for you because I love you, and you should do this, and I'm just being mean to you. I mean, do you understand? Jesus would not tell you that you should do anything that's going to hurt you. Now, let me give you the full context, because it actually makes this even stronger when you see the whole verse. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. So you've got these religious, you know, legalistic Pharisees who are tithing not to put God first, they're tithing to manipulate and control God. And Jesus is confronting them and correcting them and saying, no, 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 you're doing all this to try to make yourself look good, but you're ignoring some of the most important parts of Christianity. Now, right here, Jesus has the golden opportunity to end the debate. Is it Old Testament or New Testament? Is it under the law or is it under grace? He, he, he can end it right here. Like right here, Jesus could have very easily said, we don't need to tithe anymore. We just need to focus on this stuff because that was my dad. My dad's old-fashioned. Like he was all about the Old Testament. I'm New Testament. I'm all about grace. So we don't do that stuff anymore. We now, we're now all about grace. So let's look at how Jesus ends the debate. He says, No, you still need to tithe. He didn't say you don't need to do this anymore because there's other important things. He says, no, you still need to tithe, but don't leave the other stuff undone either. There are other important things to Christianity, but don't leave this one undone. I mean, it's powerful. The real question that I have is why do people fight it so much? Like when you look at the benefit, and here's my third point, tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. And again, you talk to anyone that's bought into this principle and you ask them to tell you their story, they'll tell you. They'll, they'll, they'll convince you more than me. When you start hearing their stories, I hear their stories every week around here. I, again, I have people who thank me on a regular basis because they've seen the blessing in their life. So let, let, me, let me just read it to you from Scripture. I gave you a couple verses. I'm going to go back a little bit further in Malachi chapter 3. This is the clearest teaching in the Bible, on it. In Malachi 3, it says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you failed to obey them. So God is speaking through the prophet Malachi. This is a prophecy from God. God is saying, look, you failed to obey me. I'm I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to bless you, but you keep hurting yourself by not doing it the way I'm asking you to do it. If you do it the way I ask you to do it, it, it's going to benefit you. It's It's the best way to live your life. Again, when you understand the heart behind everything God asks. But I love the grace in this. Look at the grace. He says, return to me and I will return to you. So wherever you're at in life, if you've messed up in any area of life, God is saying, listen, all you got to do is take a step towards me and I'm going to come to you and I'm going to cover you with grace and I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to penalize you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to beat you up over it. You just, you take one step towards me and I'm going to come to you. I love the grace of God all throughout the Bible. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? So they don't know what they did wrong. And then it says, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. Now, one translation says robbed from me. One translation says stolen from me. And again, it's all because of Leviticus 27.30. So they said, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Like, how do we cheat you, God? Like, how is it possible that we've ever stolen from you, that we've ever robbed you? It says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that are due me. In other words, the first 10% of all that you have is mine. It belongs to me. And you've held on to it. You haven't returned it to me. So by holding on to what is rightfully mine, you're stealing from me. You're cheating me out of what is mine. You are under a curse. Now let me stop and make this absolutely clear. I grew up in a church that taught me if I didn't tithe, God was going to punish me. 
that if I didn't tithe, God was going to curse me. Let me be absolutely clear. That's not what that says. In fact, God can't curse you. And here's why God can't curse you. Because Jesus took the full curse of God on the cross. There's nothing left over for you. I talk to people all the time and say, God, God must be punishing me. Can I tell you, God can't punish you because he punished Jesus. There's nothing left over. Jesus took the full wrath of God, the full punishment of God. There's nothing left for you. God cannot punish you. God cannot curse you. What it says is you stay under a curse. Let me explain it like this. The world we live in is cursed. Turn on the news. Like, look what happened yesterday. We live in a cursed, broken world. Adam and Eve messed it up. So what God is saying is when you fail to do this, you're voluntarily leaving yourself under the curse of this world. I want to remove you from it. I want to redeem you from it. I, I want to take, if you'll just return the first 10 to me, that redemption principle, I'll take the other 90% and I'll pull it out from under the curse and I'll put it up here where I can bless it. God can't bless it when it's under the curse. So understand, God does not curse. But the world we live in is cursed, and you have a choice. You can leave it under the curse, or you can redeem it and have it pulled out. And that's what it's saying here. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there will be food in my temple. Again, the tithe is always connected to God's house. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Do you realize this is the only place in the entire Bible God gives you permission to test them? Anytime you see something one time in the entire Bible, pay attention. This is why we say tithe is a test, because it's the only place in all of the Bible God gives you permission to test me. Test me. See if I'm not going to do it. Just, just try it. Put me to the test and see if I will not do what I say that I'm going to do. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord. It doesn't say you're going to win the lottery. It just says they'll always be. I'm, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guard you. Again, doesn't, doesn't mean you win the lottery. It just means I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to guard you. There will always be enough. So let me, let me leave you with this thought. Because th this is the transition that happened in my mind that changed this for me. Tithing is not a financial transaction between you and the church. That's what we, that's what we saw today in the Bible. What tithing is is an act of worship between you and your God. It's an act of worship. It's, God, you have first place in every area of my life. God, I recognize that my heart is attached to my money. And I want to give you first place in my heart, which means you've got to have first place in my finances. So it's an act of... And again, this is why I say, if you tithe, <coughs> do it during your morning devotions. It'll change the whole experience for you. It'll change it for you. Tithing is not a bill. We don't pay a tithe like we pay bills. It is an act of worship. God, you have first place in my heart, in my life, in this area. This, this, is, this, this area of money is the number one thing competing for my heart, God. It's lying to me. It's trying to tell me that it can do things that only you can do, and I'm not going to let it lie to me. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to allow money to control me. I'm going to rule over money, in other words. And tithing is what puts you in that position. See, when I return to God, the first 10%, the other 90% doesn't have control over me anymore. But how many friends do you know who are controlled by money? I mean, they live in financial fear, financial insecurity. They're just, they're just scared of money. 
Like it, it has control over them. Why? They haven't broken it. They haven't broken it. See, tithing is what breaks that control. See, when you can, when you can trust God with the first 10%, you don't have to live in fear. Because you see it removed from under the curse and you see God's blessing begin to settle on it. And again, this is why out of everything I've ever taught as a pastor, this is the one area that I get constant feedback from people over and over and over and over. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And and they tell me specific stories every time. And I'm not going to use any of the stories today because I think that's manipulative. But you just go find somebody who ties and you ask them for their story personally and and let, let them describe it to you. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, before we leave, God, I recognize the the fact that this message hits nerves. And it hits nerves because this message is attached to our heart, and our heart is a very sensitive place. But I pray that as we walk out today, God, that we would just open ourselves up to you, to your spirit, and allow you to speak truth to us. You can reveal this scripture inside of us in such a way that it confirms with our spirit that this is true. And you can do that much better than I can do it for these people. And so I pray that when they leave today, they won't take my word for it, but they will ask you, God, is this true? And allow you to speak clearly to their spirit about this area of their life. And do what you would have done in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me before we leave? We're going to close with one song of worship. During this song, our prayer team is going to be available. Uh, Let me be very clear. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what's first for you is giving your life to God. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's your life and your heart. God just wants you because he loves you and he wants you to be with him forever in heaven. He wants you to be with him so bad that he sent his son to earth to live on earth, to be killed, to go to a cross, to die, to be raised from the dead three days later, to give you a chance to find salvation, to find forgiveness, to find grace so that you could be part of God's family and with them forever in heaven. If you've never made that decision to give your life to Jesus during this song, come talk to somebody on our prayer team. We'd love to pray with you about it. And if you're here today and just anything else is going on in your life, I would encourage you, utilize the prayer team. Don't face the challenges of life on your own. Let somebody pray with you and believe God with you to show up in that circumstance. We're going to sing one song and then we're going to close.